0: Cannot go on increasing, um, just increasing the insurance payouts year after year, and so we have to start start bringing those down.
1: Welcome back to part two of our mini series on wildfire regulations in California. If you missed part one, I do recommend going back and catching up on last week's episode. To recap. We introduced our guest, Paul Brown, and talked about how California became the first state to require insurers to offer discounts to property owners who implement wildfire safety and mitigation measures. This week, we're going to find out how risk scores and CAT models help insurers provide policies to homeowners. Here's
2: May Claire, and Paul. Okay, I want to jump into a couple of things that you just said there. So one thing you mentioned, and I I think there's a couple of important just clarifications that I want to make sure our our listeners understand is you did mention cap models, catastrophe models, and the CDI doesn't allow the use of cap models for rate making. And then you start talking about risk scores. So I want to talk a little bit about how those two things are different. Um, You know, what a cap model is versus a risk score. I think that's important. And then I want to talk a little bit more about the risk score as well, too. But can you first just talk a little bit about, you know, what's different between a cap model and a risk score?
0: Yeah, sure. So historically. CAT models have been used to assess and to manage portfolios of risks, so many many risks uh, over a whole uh, range of locations at portfolio level to assess what ultimately is the, the chance that they will suffer from a large loss okay. and what the return period will that be and what the size of that loss, so the severity and the frequency. Um, including factors such as hazards, uh, the vulnerability, individual vulnerabilities of each property. Um, and so it combines all of those into a large event set. Typically, that's how CAT models uh, originated and how they've been used. Um, they do produce, uh, as, we, as I mentioned earlier, uh, a rate or an annual average loss for each property as well. And, and now, quite in other territories other than California. And interestingly, for earthquake in California, it is allowed. Mm. Um, they are allowed to use cat models. Um, but for wildfire and other perils, they're not. Interesting. Um, they cannot bring those, they cannot bring those through and use them within within a, a, a rate filing. A wildfire risk score or a risk score more generally um, is more centered on what is the hazard that's associated with a particular location. Uh, and a property that's sitting in a location so we take the hazard part of, of what goes into a cat model um, and we when we look and um, give that a score in our case from naught to 100 to give a relativity as to how high has how high a hazard that particular location would be subject to and and so that is a much um, because cat models can be uh, take some time to run um, A risk score is an easier way for an underwriter to judge what the hazard is at a particular location.
1: To clarify what a rate filing is, first we need to define rate, which is essentially the price for insurance. A rate filing is an application filed with the government to modify these charges. In the state of California, the law requires the California Department of Insurance, or the CDI, to review those changes and publish them on its website to protect consumers and promote transparency.
2: So when we think of these scores, these you know zero to 100 type scores, I know that the insurance California Insurance Commissioner, Ricardo Lara has said that they will enforce that companies need to require the wildfire risk score to their policyholders. So in theory, when somebody gets their home policy, it will say you have a wildfire risk score of 47 or, Ninety-seven, or just depending on what your wildfire risk score is, um, that's going to provide a lot of transparency to both insurers who see this, but to homeowners in particular. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, knowing your wildfire risk score is not just important for getting insurance discounts. I mean, from a homeowner's perspective, that is important, but why should a homeowner know their risk score? and? then take steps to hardening their home can you talk a little bit about you know why this transparency is really going to benefit homeowners
0: yeah it's a good 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 point so yeah as you mentioned openness and transparency is one of the key aims for the cdi yeah, within this and as a part of that i think the dangling of of a carrot uh, to consumers um they they want to use that open sea and and transparency mm-hmm. to get that risk mitigation um, up and running. So let, let's let, let's do that cost benefit analysis. Let's see how, how 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 we can get consumers to do it. As a part of that, uh, the open sea openness and transparency is all a part of building that confidence in the consumer that the insurer will give some benefit to to the policyholder should they. Should they undertake some of the mitigation factors right. and, and, and improve the resiliency of their property? So I think it's important. It is important from a consumer perspective for, for, for them to understand that you know, this is the, the premium that I might be paying, mm-hmm. which is a part of that openness and transparency if I t- undertake all of this, this work. And, and the IBHS actually have done some studies around that cost-benefit analysis ah, okay. in terms of how much does a certain mitigation cost and, and what is the likely reduction in, in claims cost. Now, okay. we need to get that claims cost reduction has to be replicated in terms of a premium reduction, which is some of the difficulty with the data that we have. But certainly on the face of it, you know th- th- there are some studies that show that, that there are real um, benefits uh, to the consumer uh, certainly certainly, imp- just in premium, but there are other, other benefits as well. So um, the ability for the consumer to see this this risk score and, interestingly, have the ability to challenge that risk score, um, which is the other part of, of the regulation. So the, the consumer can, if they haven't already verified with the insurer at the time of underwriting, which I think many insurers mm-hmm. will end up doing, and... Um, They can say to an insurer, look, you've you've said I I don't have this mitigation factor, but look, I do actually have that. So they can can challenge that. They could also challenge some of the hazard aspects, although I think it's harder for a consumer to really dig in and challenge some of that scientific expertise um, without some sort of help. And and, and that's one of the, the challenges of opening up the wildfire risk score assessment by an insurer is, you know, how can how can an insurer and, and and you try to put yourself in the position of not being in the position we are in of knowing all of this, yeah. this stuff? Um But as 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 an insurer to say, well, this is your one in one hundred year loss, I and mean, what does that really mean to most consumers? It they don't. You know, we hear we hear one in a hundred year, one in two hundred years, with events being bandied around all over the place. Right. And suddenly, you know, we have. Three or four hundred-year events in five years, and it doesn't make any sense right. unless you really understand what is going into those numbers. Right. And so that's one of the challenges that both we and and our clients will have is, is how do we make that uh, as as simple as possible for consumers to understand, so that they they you know if they if they think they can challenge it, then then they will do.
1: So what really goes into those numbers anyway? For that answer, we're going to look to the United States Geological Survey, or the USGS, which says the recurrence interval is based on the probability that the given event will be equaled or exceeded in any given year. Basically, that means that if someone says that a wildfire is a 100-year event, what they're really saying is that over the course of 12 months, there is a 1% chance that such a wildfire catastrophe would occur. If you were unlucky enough to live through a 500-year event, you just experienced a wildfire that had a 0.2% chance of occurring within 12 months. However, just because a 100-year event occurred one day this year, doesn't mean that it can't happen again tomorrow.
0: So yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff um, going in there, and and and, and that's um, that's going to be, be be difficult. But also, you know, I think. Um, it's 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 also difficult because um, the granularity you're talking about the data quality as well, um, we could end up with a lot of a lot of risk a lot of challenges mm. to the risk score
2: mm-hmm.
0: which could end up being Definitely a fairly administrative yeah. high administrative burden, which ultimately you know the insurer will have to bear as a cost. And ultimately, would come back on the policyholder at some point when when you know, all costs have to be paid for by by the policyholder. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want a stable market, so ultimately, I think we all, including the the, the regulator, want to make sure that, that the data that's going into those um, do not result in undue an undue number or frequency of challenges.
2: You know The one thing I do want to finish with today is resilience is such an important topic when we're talking about natural hazards. I know that the California, you know, may be the first to do these regulations, but that we're just seeing the start of it, I'm sure, across the country and maybe even around the world as well, too. Um, can you just talk a little bit about, you know, the U.S. Department of, in- of the Interior announced $180 million investment in wildfire mitigation and resilience. So, why is this such an important thing when combating natural hazards, specifically wildfire right now, but why is mitigation so important to resilience in the big picture?
0: Uh, Good good, good question. Uh, While we're um, not unreasonably in in our industry focused on the insurance industry, I think there is a a bigger and a wider picture here. and, and, And that's one of the reasons why this regulation has come in is that the, the events and the, the the losses that have happened, you know, go wider than insurance. And so, you know, as far as, insurance can only cover so much. An insurance policy will cover the financial loss of the building and, and, and the replacement of that and some additional living expenses. Okay, But it doesn't cover the hassle. It doesn't cover the, the pain, suffering, um, loss of life, health, loved ones, people dying. Um, and so, you know, n- nobody wants to be living for 12, 24 months in, a, in, in an alternative home yeah. while they decide if or they want to rebuild their home in a place that's just just, just suffered um, devastating wildfires. And so, you know, as a part of that, we can't go on. And, and if we look back at the trend of wildfires, both acres burned and insured losses, that they're quite clearly both in California and for the U.S. on, on a much wider um survey basis yeah you know, are, are, are continuing to increase mm-hmm. which which is unsustainable yeah we cannot go on increasing um just increasing the insurance payouts year after year and so we have to start start bringing those down yeah we have to we have to make sure that that, that fires are not unduly suppressed so that we don't build up large fuel loads uh, as we have done o- over the years yeah and then and then decide to build our properties and assets, right in the middle or on the edge of those, and that's where where, where we 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 get these these, these um, meeting of of natural hazards and and physical assets. Yeah, wow,
2: so interesting, Paul. Thank you so much for joining me today on Core Conversations, a Core Logic podcast. It was so great to chat with you.
0: Thank you very much. It's been great talking to you, May Claire.
2: All right. And thanks for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our new facts guru Katia Oloy, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another Core Conversation.